0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Take your copy of God's Word and uh, turn back to Mark 16. Mark 16, and uh, I'm going to read again this entire passage, verses 9 through 20. Um, And before I read it, before you hear again those... Uh, those sections that say whoever believes will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned before you hear that as I'm reading through I want to share with you Wallace handed me this on his way in tonight it's research uh, from the uh, the Baptist press and uh, research posed the question if a person is sincerely seeking God he or she or the statement if a person uh, is sincerely seeking God, he or she can obtain eternal life through religions other than Christianity. That was the true or false statement that was posed to different groups. Is there another way to, to get to God? Are the, can you get there through other religions? That's basically the, the, the question asked. Among Protestant pastors, meaning Protestant, non-Catholic, us, among Protestant pastors, alarmingly, uh, 77% dis- disagreed with that statement which is good 77% but my question is why not 100% what are these that are these 23% preaching if they can't dogmatically come to the scriptures and say there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved other than through Jesus Christ what are they preaching And the research goes further, and when you go outside of pastors, and uh, they ask adults who attend a Protestant church if they agreed or disagreed with that statement. And only 48% disagreed, which means 52% in some way or another uh, think that Jesus is not the only way to God. In our Protestant churches, 52%. Isn't that alarming? Very sad. Now listen. Verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them, "...as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had been risen. And he said to them, "'Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation.' Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, this is where we'll be tonight, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then... The Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Tonight, I I want to walk through this. Many of you have maybe been uh, curious all day, what would I say about these snakes and all this. I remember uh, in college, in a, um, I can't even remember the course now. Um, the professor was, was sometimes out there, but he, he had us one day watch um, this video of, of these mountain churches that were handling snakes, and even though I had grown up in the mountains of East Tennessee, uh, I had never seen anything like this ever, and they, they, they take this one verse and take it way out of context and build their entire doctrine on this one passage of Scripture, and they don't take out the snakes every service, but occasionally, and probably more often than not, they will, uh, they will pull out these boxes in the middle of this service. And the music is, is very rhythmic as they're doing this. And it's almost like snake charming. And they'll slide the, the top back on this box, and they'll reach in, and they'll sort of bounce as they pull this out with the rhythm. And they're holding this snake. And this snake, I mean, he 's just kind of going to sleep, you know he 's just yeah, and uh, and it's I remember watching this thinking, this is the most insane church service ever. Why would anybody visit there and go back? you know it 's one thing to visit a church and and for the children 's department to be just really chaotic and, you know, ah, we, we're not going to go back there, you know, or you go and, and maybe a Sunday school teacher or the pastor or the music's not just just not really all that good. And so they don't come back. But if you go to a church and they pull out snakes to handle, don't go back. OK, <laughs> um, but there are churches, really. And, and this is one example of a verse being taken way out of context. If we're not careful, I think this is not my point tonight, but if we're not careful, we will do the same thing with less offensive verses. You get me on that? There are some things you come across, like a verse like this, you come across, they will pick up snakes, and you go, "Uh uh-uh, no. But you'll come across other passages, other verses, and it may not be as offensive to you. It may not grate against your mind or your soul, um, and you will, without looking at what's before and after and looking at the big context here, you will be guilty of the same thing. The Word of God is true. It, tr- it is the Word of God. That's not just a clever name. That's not Christian cliché for what we, you know, we call the Bible, the Word of God we're saying it really is the Word of God. It is all the Word of God, and it can be trusted, but we must handle it with care. We must, as the Bible says, rightly divide the Word of truth so that we don't twist. Um, Let me give you an analogy uh, or or just a picture here. If you go to a tree right now that's Alive, it's growing, it's putting out leaves, and you go to a limb and you break that limb, will it break cleanly? No. It will maybe snap, it'll bend first, but it may eventually snap, but the wood inside is wet and green, and it will do what? It will sort of peel back. It will splinter. And the bark on the underside is going to be attached. And how many times maybe as a kid... You went out there, you broke a limb off a tree, and it did that, and you twisted it around and around and around and around until eventually you had pulled all the bark back on that one side, and you finally had the limb. Well, there are people today that are coming to Scripture, and they're doing the same thing. They're pulling on a branch of Scripture thinking, that's good, I want that for my life, and they jerk on it, and it doesn't come out cleanly. And they have to do a lot of twisting in order to get it to say what, it, what, it, what they want it to say. And what we want to do is we want to come to the Bible and we want to make clean cuts. We want to make clean breaks, if you will. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. We're not taking anything out of context. We want to see it all. And that's why this morning I spent those first couple of minutes Uh, telling you that this section is really, it's probably not in those original writings of Mark. And there may have been people in this room that walked out of here today that might have some questions about the uh, trustworthiness of Scripture. And uh, I pray that's not the case. But if I felt like, if I wasn't honest about that, and it doesn't doesn't call the, the trustworthiness of the Word of God into question, but if I'm not upfront and open about that, Some of these people will go out and they'll watch something on the Discovery Channel or they'll sit in a college classroom and they will hear someone argue against the trustworthiness of Scripture and they will say, that pastor hid that from me, lied to me, he's covering something up, and so I'm trying to be as transparent with the Word of God as I can be. And uh just because it probably wasn't part of Mark's original writings doesn't mean that we can't trust it. So know that you can. I want to spend some time tonight on these last four verses, 17 through 20, um, and specifically these signs that will accompany. He says in verse 17, uh, these signs will accompany those who believe. Now, as I read through this, I mean, there's a promise there. There's a, there's a statement Jesus saying to them, um, These signs will accompany those who believe. As I read through this, I thought, you know, I, I, I've never picked up poisonous snakes. Um I've never been given the gift of tongues. Uh, I've never walked into a hospital and been able to lay my hands on people and them get well. So does this mean that I'm really not a believer? And so I want to answer that question for you. But before we do that, let's look at these signs that accompany those who believe. First off, in my name, they will cast out demons. Let me, let's turn a lot tonight. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. And you'll see here, Jesus is speaking in, in Mark. He's speaking directly to these apostles, those disciples there. And here in verse, or chapter 8, verse 4, is the, uh, the outworking of what he had promised them. Verse 4, Now those who were scattered went, out about, went, went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and, and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. And when you see here Philip, not Jesus, but Philip, having authority over demonic spirits, who does that remind you of? Jesus. Jesus. Do you remember how the, the demons, when, when he would come across a demon-possessed individual, they would, they would just immediately shrink back from Jesus. They would bow before Jesus. When Jesus would say to them, come out, they had no option. They couldn't argue. They couldn't do like my kids do with me sometimes. But I don't want to. It was Jesus. It's one thing for Jesus to cast out demons. It's another thing for A regular person like you you and I. And here we see Philip casting out, and, and this is true of many of the others as well, go forward in the book of Acts to chapter 19. Look at 19, 11 through 20. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs, or aprons that had, been, that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, counted the value of them, and found it to be fifty thousand pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is amazing. Um, Jesus has, has been raised from the dead. He's now ascended to the right hand of the Father, and here are his followers. These common men. I mean, yes, Paul. I mean, he was he was Jew of Jew. He was Pharisee. He was. I mean, he was all of that. But still, compared to deified Son of Son of God, he's just a, he's just a man. And for, for him to come and, and for him to be, have this much power to cast out demons to the point where people were bringing handkerchiefs, anything that had touched his skin, and taking it back to those who were sick or demon possessed, that, that is absolute power. And you see here in this passage, those charlatans, if you will, uh, think this is just some magic word, think that the name of Jesus is the equivalent of hocus pocus. They would come to these people that were demon-possessed, and they would say, Hocus Pocus, by the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out. It's it's an amazing event. And I would tell you that we're going to see it in just a minute, but the reason for this is to show not the power of Paul, but the power of God. Now, do we see this going on anywhere in our society today? All the time turn the television on, turn to TBN or any of those oftentimes, quote, Christian broadcasting channels, and you will see this type of thing. Benny Hinn, others claiming to be able to heal and cast out demons, and many of them are not trying to show the power of God, but they are wanting to make a name for themselves. And they are in in fact doing what These seven sons of Sceva, in fact, tried to do even then. We've got to be careful. There are people that are being taken in by this, by the thousands, giving money, giving away money they don't have to men like this. Um, Still going on. Also, a sign that will accompany those who believe, they will speak in new tongues. Turn back to Acts chapter 2. Let's look at Acts 2 verses 1 through 13. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. See, that's the key to this. You rarely hear the rest of that. What you hear most of the time is, and and I'm I'm not in the camp to say that that tongues has ceased. I mean, maybe I'm wrong in that, and I, I pray if I am, God would show me that. But I don't see that ever written in Scripture that God ever ceased the gift of tongues. I have brothers, my own sister. Um and claims to have the gift of tongues. And, and I know my sister well enough to I, I she wouldn't make this up to fool me. So I really don't know what to do with tongues, but this is key. This is key. It wasn't them just speaking in some language that only themselves and, and God could understand, but instead What you see here is them being given supernatural gifting in the moment to be able to speak foreign languages of all those who were in the city gathered around so that when this sound, the spirit, the mighty rushing wind, this sound comes and it must have been loud. It must have been just deafening because they all come running out to see what it is. And these men who speak Portuguese or Spanish or French, or Russian, or I'm putting it in our context, they all come running out. And if it wasn't for the supernatural gifting of the Spirit of God, these apostles, these early disciples, would not have been able to communicate with them. But in order to validate the gospel, they are given this ability in this moment to speak another language that they have never learned. I mean, has that ever happened to you? had not happened to me. I wish it would have one time, being in that Russian-Jewish community in New York City where they all spoke Russian, and the only words I knew were, um, which meant, God bless you. And I could say, thank you. Beyond that, I was lost. Yeah, I should have. But, you know, it's... I'm out there on the streets and I'm handing out the Gospel of Mark translated into Russian, and, and I would say, De and they would say, A blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, and, and I would, you know, uh, I have no idea. And in that moment, it would have been wonderful if the Spirit of God would have given me the ability to speak Russian, but He didn't. But He did here, He did here in order to validate the Gospel. And to show that this was an authentic move of God. I could go on to more passages of Scripture. I could go on to, I won't go there for sake sake of time, but 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, all talks about the gifts of the Spirit and how they were desiring to speak in tongues. They had elevated tongues to a level that it was never meant to have. And we are all gifted in Christ uh, as the Spirit wills. And instead of seeking after a particular gift that you don't have, instead you should seek after whatever gift God gives you in order to make much of him. But here he says, These signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. And then they will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Now, turn with me back to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. This is the really only reference of Jesus making any promise that resembles this in any fashion. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, when Jesus has sent out the 72, two by two, to go and witness for him, to preach the kingdom. In verse 19, uh, well, they had returned and behold jesus says i have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you jesus here tells them this but he never tells us every single one of us to pick up snakes he doesn't he doesn't tell them to pick up snakes he doesn't go to them and say now here's part of the mission preach the gospel teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, baptize them, and oh, by the way, carry snakes with you. And that's the equivalent of what these, um, they're not all mountain churches, but largely these mountain churches have done. They've added to the gospel. They've added to the mission of Christ. Um, Here he makes this promise, but it is a promise not for them, but it is a promise in in that day to um, validate the gospel turn back to acts go to acts 28 we see paul here having an account with um, with a viper with a snake look at acts chapter 28 verses 1 through 6 paul here was shipwrecked he comes up on the island of malta Pick it up there. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Now, that's the kind of people, if you're going to be shipwrecked and washed up on a deserted island, you want people that are going to show you unusual kindness. Okay? When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out, and because of the heat... ...and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune came to him, come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god." These two accounts here, this is the only real place that we can see this type of promise being uh, written about anywhere else. Paul is actually bitten, and then Jesus makes this promise that he will cause them to tread on serpents and scorpions. It's a long way from picking up snakes uh, on our own, and aren't you glad And then he says, these signs will accompany those who believe. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Go back to Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Acts 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. healing power to the point of bringing them out in the streets and just hoping that his shadow would fall on them. I mean, that's, that's power. And you know what this is proof of? This is, this is proof here that what we read in Mark, and it may have been written after, they may have pulled all of these together, but it proves the power of our God. It demonstrates the power of our God, that we would be given signs to accompany the work that He's done in us and doing through us. You say, now wait a minute, Uh, I've I've not really had a lot of experience in any of those. So does that mean that, that I'm not a true believer? I mean, Jesus here says, those who believe, these things will accompany them. Does that mean that you're not a believer, that I'm not a believer? Well, yes and no. These specific signs are not prescriptive. These specific signs, you don't have to go out tonight and just test whether or not you're a genuine believer. Go wrangle up a a den of snakes and just stick your hand in and just see what happens. You don't have to do that. These, these are not prescriptive. It's not saying these things must be true of you or it's all off. You know, my, my son, you know, saved for the iPad. You know, if you know, we could have said, you know, why don't you forego the, the iPad and get another tablet? You know what he would have said to us? You are out of your mind. You are crazy. I have saved for the Apple on the back of it. Mac people are crazy about the Apple. Well, this is not some symbol that you've got to have stamped on you to show that you are genuine and authentic. But if a variation of these signs don't accompany you, then maybe you're not a believer. Because Jesus here, I think, is saying also that some variation of these will accompany us. Here's what I mean we still are to rescue people from the grip of Satan, aren't we? I mean, we're you know we're not necessarily going to find demonically possessed people and come before them and make the sign of the cross and throw holy water on them and and say come out in the name of Jesus. But we are to go to where there is extreme darkness, aren't we? Aren't we to go where Satan is really gr- just gripping people's lives and there is little or no access to the gospel aren't we aren't we to share the gospel there and in so doing to pluck them from the hand of satan and see them rescued to the glory of god if there's no desire in your life to rescue people from the grip of satan then it probably says that you're not truly a believer if you are a believer, you're going to at least want to. You may not be good at it. And you may not do it as often as you'd like to, but there's going to be some measure of this sign accompanying your life. Aren't we also to speak a new message, the the true gospel? I mean, not necessarily one that is contrary to all the, the false gospels, or, or not necessarily a new in the sense of it being a, an adjusted gospel, but one that does, in effect, cancel out all of the false gospels that people hear on a regular basis. Do you know that that's part of why we gather? On Sunday morning, um, we, we were having this discussion on our way home, and, and my daughter was talking about worship really being... Uh, It didn't really matter if anybody else knew that you were worshiping as long as you and God knew it. And in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, worship is really about us vertically praising our God, but then also horizontally encouraging our brothers and sisters, building one another up. And... uh, One of the reasons that we gathered together on Sunday mornings together particularly is throughout the week, you're going to hear all sorts of false gospels. I loved the song that we were singing this morning, knowing that our students are singing this on a regular basis. When we were singing that line, I run into your arms. And I couldn't help but to think how many times through the week are are our teenage girls told that if they would just run into the arms of some boy, that he would be their satisfaction and they would be fulfilled. I thought, how great are we teaching our students that they will find no satisfaction anywhere else but to run into the arms of Christ. And part of why we gather together, I want to soapbox a little bit here, but is to counteract and to preach against those false gospels that we hear through the week. We're also to um, speak this new language, the true gospel. We're to work hard to learn the language. Um, I share with you this morning that uh, I'm going to be rolling out over the next um, six weeks or so um, asking you to be praying. I'm going to challenge you at some point to fast and pray about where God would have us to go in the world. If God were to lead, and we um, put together a strategic missions team, part of there's about 10 of us that have come together, and now we're going to bring this to you, and I can't announce it to you tonight, but we kind of have a sense of where, as we've prayed through and studied, where God may be leading us. But if God were to lead us to somewhere in the world that speaks another language, would you be willing to learn that language, at least conversationally, so that when God lays on your heart to actually go, that you can get on the ground and you can share the gospel with those people. And what, a, what, a great, what, a, what a great use of resources if we were as a congregation to say we're going to use part of, our, part of our money, part of our time, and we as a congregation are going to learn this language so that God would be glorified among this people group. I mean, that's foreign, right? Most of what we do, most of what we have done is we've, we've said, let me come together and you pour into me so that I can be enriched and fulfilled in my walk with the Lord. And most of us have gotten fat on the things for us. But what if we began to turn that outward and we began to speak in new tongues, speak the language of the gospel somewhere else in the world? Not a lot of amens on that. You all are kind of looking at me like, are you being serious or you, this preacher talk? Um, could, it, we could ask you to do that. We don't know. Um, and some of you right now are thinking, I don't know that I could do that. Uh, you can. You can. You don't have to learn it all. You don't have to learn necessarily all the um, verb structure and all of that. But if we would learn enough to be able to, to share the gospel, and by the way, um, we live in a particular region of the country where people from all different uh, parts of the world are coming to us. You know that, right? There are German-speaking people and Spanish-speaking people and French-speaking people, and I can go on and on all around us. And so it will serve us well here. Sorry, I got off on a tangent. We are to to speak the new language. We are, this will accompany us as well. We are to do things we are not comfortable doing while trusting God to protect us. You would not be comfortable picking up a snake. But let's move beyond the snakes. Many of you would not be comfortable going into inner city Spartanburg. Many of you may not be comfortable going across the street to your neighbor or to your coworker, but a sign that will accompany a true believer is that you will go even where you're not comfortable and trust god to protect you also we are to pray and to care for the sick i've never been able to go into a hospital and just lay hands on someone and then be healed it's not this magic power you know, I've not been able to go with, with another deacon or another pastor, you know, and, and bump fists and say, Wonder Twin Powers, activate, and we pray, and, you know, the person's healed. That's just never happened. But there have been occasions where we have brought people together and the, the body has gathered around them and prayed, laid hands on them, and miraculously, God heals them. And it's up to God whether he wills to or doesn't, But we are called to be compassionate and to care for those who are hurting, who are sick. And we are to, by faith, say, God, we're not able to do anything about this right now, but we pray that you would be merciful in the life of this person. These are signs that will accompany true believers. Why? Why does God give such signs? I've said it a couple times, but here's why God gives such signs. Number one, to validate the messenger Number two, to validate the message. It is never to be about you. But these signs occasionally will accompany you. And sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes these signs do take on a more supernatural um, appearance. More times than not, they're what I've just explained to you. But sometimes, sometimes they are supernatural. You hear stories on the mission field all the time of supernatural things of God happening. But when God does it, whether it is, seems simplistic to us, explainable to us, or whether it seems beyond us, it is always to put the focus on the fact that the gospel is true, that Jesus really is the Son of God, that He really did come and in the form of a person, really did obey perfectly, really did go to the cross and die, was placed into a tomb, was raised from the dead, is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and is coming back one day. It is never to build some notoriety for you. And there are people all over, television and churches, that are falsifying these signs so that they can profit. Let me finish up real quick. These last couple of verses, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. When we truly understand, when we truly believe that he really is risen, that he really is reigning, that the sacrificial lamb is now sovereign Lord, Doesn't that change our perspective on going to places that are uncomfortable and dangerous? Doesn't that give us more a sense of urgency to go? It should. If we know that he's reigning on the throne and that the worst thing this world can do to us is kill us. And when they kill us, if they do, they simply usher us into the presence of our God. changes the way we approach missions it changes the way you look at your neighbor it changes the way you look at your coworker and changes the way you look at the people who sit in these seats week in and week out who are lost we're sometimes so afraid to get out of our comfort zone we're so afraid that we will be rejected that we'll be embarrassed that maybe we won't know what to say if God's on his throne and he's sovereign those arguments don't hold water, do they? I mean, many of you have been in, in that situation where you've been asked a question, didn't know what to say. I've been there. Somebody asked a question. I didn't have no, I had no, no idea. But in that moment, it's a quick prayer to God, God, I don't, I don't know, but God, would you help me to be able to answer this person's question? God would, would give me the words to say. If God's sovereign and on his throne, then what we do is exactly the way verse 20 ends the book of Mark. We go and we preach everywhere. And As we go and we preach everywhere, we know that sovereign Lord is working with us to do the work. And your responsibility, my responsibility is not to convert anyone. Our responsibility is to to articulate the gospel to live lives that model it knowing that we're not perfect but beyond just living to actually say it Then that take the pressure off you know i mean there was a little bit in me when when i proposed to lana that thought what if she says no There on that knee, holding that ring, would you marry me? What if she says no? Do you know that there's no pressure when you share the gospel and ask someone to trust Christ as their only hope? There is no pressure on you. If they reject it, they're not rejecting you. If Lana would have said no, she was rejecting me, right? (laughs) Nobody else in the picture, you know. I'm not turning around at somebody at the table next to me saying she was talking to you, you know. But when they reject you, when they reject the gospel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Him. And all we have to do is share, tell, go. And when we do, He will be glorified. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that we've been able to walk over the last two years through this book. God, I pray that the truth that we have discovered in it, God, would, would be long lasting. God, that, that we will be different people from this point forward because your word has set us free. God, I pray that you'd continue to set us free. Help us not to, to pack Mark away and just. Say, we've already been there. We've done that. But God, help us to take it back out time and time again. God, through the power of the Spirit that lives in us who believe, God, would you apply it to our lives? God, would you enlarge our vision for your glory? God, make our hearts beat for your glory among the nations. Lord, you are altogether glorious and you are deserving of the praise of every person on the planet who has ever lived or will live. They will not all believe, but God, help us to not hide behind that. God, help us to see that there are people right now in Africa and Europe and Asia, in Australia, in India. In Canada, in all parts of the United States of America, South America, all around the world, there are people right now that do not know you, that need to know you. And God, they are waiting for someone to come and tell them. And God, would you lay it on our hearts to get out of our comfort zone, to do what we are not comfortable doing, and to trust you to take care of us. You are sovereign on your throne and the worst thing this world can do to us is nothing compared to the inheritance that we have waiting with you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Have a great night. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.